Hello and welcome to the Holy City Hoops podcast. So glad to have you on this Monday morning. Win streak has hit 20. Two games on the road this past week at Monmouth and at Northeastern. So we had to bring in one of our Northeast Cougar alums, Martin Trojanowski, who manages the always active CFC fans Discord channel. If you are not part of that community, give me a shout. We'll get you added. That's where a lot of Cougar fans go to sound off on the game of the day, recruiting, Cougar alums in the pros, lots of fun stuff. We are going to recap both games. We're going to check in on the CAA standings here at the midway point of the 18-game conference season. It's hard to believe. And preview another big game next Saturday, Hofstra at the 6, next test for the Cougars. So sit back. Relax, we've got another Holy City Hoops episode coming up next. All right, checking in from Boston, Mass. For the first time on the pod in a while, Dr. Trojanowski, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. Loving to see the Cougs play up here and uh, get a W. It's always fun to get a W at Northeastern. They're such a tough team. Well, you've been to this Northeastern game many times over the years. Where did this win rank uh, amongst the games you've gone to? It's definitely been the most dominant one. Um, I've never seen us put a Northeastern team away as much. The old Grant years were always these these chess matches between our man-to-man D and Co and manipulating us out of where we wanted to do and, uh, and these kind of low-scoring rock fights. And uh, it was fun to see a kind of high-flying Cougars team just, just totally take apart Northeastern. Well, last year... Felt like the most dominant win we had ever had against Northeastern. We blew them out in Boston and swept them for the season. I think this one maybe topped it. I'm with you. Like, I mean, to be up 30-plus late in the second half, and then Northeastern went on a 7 nothing run just to get to 61 points, just to get over 60 points. So dominant on defense. Obviously, we know the Cougars scored a bunch. I mean, why do you think this is? Why do you think Kelsey is so successful against Cohen? Because for, like you said, for years, Cohen was this master tactician who we could never seem to solve. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I, you know, obviously it's, it's hot off the press. Uh, you know, Northeastern runs usually in their good games when they play well. They they actually tighten up that rotation a lot. I was looking at their box score because I, I, I saw the Northeastern running all these different guys at us and I was pretty surprised. I so man, I, they they usually don't do this. Uh, you know, you'll see Telfort playing, you know, 38 minutes, and I don't know if it was foul trouble or or they just felt that they couldn't keep up with the pace playing seven guys, or just this Cohen once the game gets out of hand just throws young guys in just to get them some experience because once once um, Northeastern got away from its like primary guys and, and some of that second unit came in, I think that's when Cougar, the Cougars really took it apart northeastern was getting killed whenever doherty was on the bench like he got his production in this game but telfort was pretty locked up pridgen joe pridgen the uncw transfer who's been really good lately he was mostly locked up i credit jalen scott and uh kind of the team defense for a lot of that i want to ask you what was the cfc crowd like because there was a couple times where i could hear a c-o-u-g-a-r-s chant and then i saw some instagram videos i mean a quarter of the crowd was in maroon maybe seemed like i mean what you were on the inside what was it like yeah i know the the crowd is outstanding uh we usually bring a good crowd to this game uh they usually fill up the area behind the northeastern bench on uh, and we had a solid uh four sections behind 
uh, I'm sorry, not the Northeastern bench, but behind the CFC bench, which is where I always sit. We had a solid four sections filled up. And if you looked across on the other side of the stands, there was CFC people just kind of sprinkled in the main stands. It's obviously hard to see because they, they dim the lights now in that stadium, I guess, to, to hide the effect of the empty right, stands. Right. It's, a, it's kind of a weird place. It's almost like you're at a hockey game. But uh, I, I, I don't know what my side of the stands look like, but I would say a good third of the stands is called to Charleston fans. I don't get it, man. I don't get how this team has been one of the best teams in the CAA the last 10 years, and they can't pull 1,000 people to a game. I know it's a hockey school, and I've heard some excuses in the past. I don't get it. You've got the stadium's 120 years old. This is only the third-ranked opponent to ever come through. And you can't pull a thousand people there without yeah. CFC without More CFC bringing yeah, two hundred. You know, I don't think pro. I mean, college sports are really popular in Boston. It's just not a, a, a town that that is very interested in college athletics outside of the Bean Pot, which is the uh, inner city uh, hockey tournament. That's the one thing, and it, and and hockey does. I think it's just a hockey town outside of the Celtics. Uh, the you know. I'm on the faculty at BU, so that they take the the hockey the hockey games inner city really seriously. Well, more more power to the Cougs because they seem to bring the energy in this game. I mean, let's dig into the game a little bit more. I thought, much like the William and Mary game last week, Charleston kind of shakes off an unsatisfactory Thursday performance against a bad CAA team and blows out their opponent. Like. There was one spell midway through the first half where Charleston looked kind of out of sorts and Northeastern went on a run. But other than that, like I said, I think this is maybe the best performance in Boston since joining the CAA for Charleston. 10 players score. No one plays over 25 minutes. 20 straight wins. 9-0 in CAA play at the midway point. It's just like hard to find any criticism here. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, that little run where Northeastern hit some threes and uh, it looked, it looked like it was going to be your, your typical CFC Northeastern game where we uh, have to, we have to grind it out. And then coach puts in the second unit, Ray PR three and uh, Ben Burnham. And those three guys just catalyze uh, very, very active defense by CFC too. Once that game got a little close, PR three went on a, personal 6-0 run. He got into the lane uh, really fast and finished close to the hoop. Uh, Ray was making great plays on defense. You remember he laid out for a ball. That was awesome. And, um, and then you had a great kick out uh, by Larson to uh, Ben for the three. And Ben's been so on fire when he gets good looks from the three-point line. I think people are sleeping on him as a shooter a little bit. Everybody focuses so much on rain. And some of the other guard guards, the backcourt guys that put shoot threes, that Ben gets good looks, and he's been terrific. Uh, you know, it's now been about a month now where we've really seen awesome play from Ben Burnham. Yeah, he's been on fire. I tweeted out the other day. He's leading the team in three point percentage. I think pretty comfortably. He's over forty percent from the season, even with that cold start he had. Um, yeah, I thought one of the good things about this game is some of the guys who had been struggling to find some success got to play through it and kind of find their rhythm again. Ray Horton, probably the biggest one of those. He has seven points in this game. He has that big steal that that you mentioned. Uh, went one for two from deep, three assists, zero turnovers. Like, all in all, good night for Ray. 
Um, but even guys like Pat Robinson, who had sneaky been not great the past couple of games, I think it had been a while since he's been in double figures. He has 14 points in this one, took a team high 13 shots, uh, which I didn't realize, but he was effective. He also had six rebounds. And then Babakar Fai, nine points, eight rebounds, one of his probably his best games since the Delaware contest. And even Jalen Scott, like, was playing a lot more aggressive, nine points, six rebounds, uh, did his usual work on defense. So all four of those guys, the bench had been kind of struggling, and then they just completely blow the doors off here. Out of those four, which one stood out to you? Yeah, no, I'm all great points, Tommy. Uh, a PR three really did it attacking the basket. Um, he didn't take a three, and he's you know he's typically a good three point shooter for us. Uh, at least kind of stays within team's average. So I, I I think he was critical in sparking that run. Obviously, I was really I'm a big uh, Ray Horton fan. I think that guy can be something special for us. We all remember what he did last year uh, in the CA tournament where he was, you know, one of the critical pieces on offense uh, for us. And he had been going through a real rough patch where he just looked like he was forcing everything, trying to think through things, getting called for charges and uh, missing threes. And I think he allowed his defense to let him get in the game, which then flowed into the offense. So it's really, really happy for him to to see him kind of start to turn around. You can really see the bench respond when he put that three up too. So I think the team's pulling for him. And uh, Baba too, you know, one of the things that uh, PK Pat Kelsey did that I thought was pretty interesting is when Baba was in, when Doherty was in, it wasn't Baba on Doherty. They, uh, they had Baba on their four. Whereas they had Ben Burnham fighting uh, Doherty down low. So I thought that was pretty interesting that they were trying to save Baba from getting kind of ground down by uh, Doherty and, and letting Ben battle with him. <laughs> yeah, Doherty over Baba. I mean, that's Doherty's got the advantage there. So, yeah, I mean, Doherty, I think he almost had a double-double in the first half. But after that, and he picked up three fouls in the first half. But after that, he was pretty well neutralized, I thought. I don't know if it was Pat Kelsey... You know, putting the switches on him on defense or, you know, the game just getting out of hand. But, uh, I mean, he got his numbers, but not in a win, obviously. Yeah, Doherty, uh, I mean, I think Doherty is is one of those guys that he's kind of a mismatch for just about anyone he's going to face in the CAA. Uh, the, uh, I, I think he just got, I wonder if he just got tired. Uh, that's not the, you know, the pace that yeah. they're used to playing. And uh, even though he was sitting a lot because of minutes, I remember in the first half, uh, Northeastern has a pretty huge uh, uh kind of middle of the court scoreboard tv sy- system there and you would, yeah. would show clips from the game and i was about 10 minutes in the game when Do- doherty dove for a ball and he was sweating like a beast i was like wow he's already he's already tired you could see the and sweat how, coming off on the broadcast yeah i know so i was like i i really felt that the pace that we played definitely made northeastern uncomfortable and, and i think it forced cohen to go far deeper into his bench uh, than he likes to because he knew that they couldn't keep up. Doherty and Bolin were having a little head-to-head on like who can instigate the opposing crowd the most. Like Those two are just cut from the same cloth. <laughs> <laughs> it probably will never happen, but it would be a dream uh, if they still do the three-on-three kind of tournaments to have both Bolin and Doherty <laughs> out there for representing the CAA as these kind of uh, lunch pail guys. Oh, man, yeah. I feel bad for any team who has to run through that. Um one guy we haven't talked about yet, Ante Berzovic was pretty quiet in this game, and he, he had a tough game against Monmouth as well. He has seven points and six rebounds in this one, but mostly he had his hands full with Doherty, 
much of the night. Did you any? Did you see anything uh, from Berzovich that's concerning, or do you think it's just uh, kind of par for the course? Ante has had a little bit of a string of games where he has struggled to finish inside, and tonight wasn't the first one. So I don't know if it was anything. I don't think it was anything particular that Northeastern did. It, he's just been a little bit off inside. He's that little hook shot's not falling. Yeah. The little bank play when he gets near the baskets, he's just kind of hitting it a little strong. He's actually stroking his three almost better than he's hitting twos. Because uh, on three, he's been pretty on point. Uh, but I, I think he's just going through a little bit of a lull uh, offensively. Uh, he's still clearly our best uh, guy in the five spot. And he. the other thing is he will get pushed under the basket by kind of bigger centers. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not too concerned with Ante yet. I'm with you. Like the shots he's getting are shots we've seen him hit all season, and it just seems to be a little bit off. But there's been a few times where he's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just take the three, and he's usually pretty good at that. Um, and even Dalton Bolin had a bit of an off night, but the team could afford it because everybody else was scoring. He was probably due for one of these. Same thing, though. I think, you know, some of those post-ups that he usually gets, he got stripped a few times. Uh, his three wasn't falling. I'm I'm not too concerned with that either. No, no. I mean, that's the superpower of this Pat Kelsey-built Charleston team, right? Uh, it, definitely, you could see it in the Monmouth game, too, where it it's always going to be someone different that can carry the load if, some, if there was somebody else on the team can't. So uh, I, I think it, it we're kind of built to sustain, unlike the Earl Grant years where we were so focused on two to three guys producing 80% of our offense. Uh, it's so much harder to game plan a defense around and, and you're not, you're much more resistant to these cold spells that we were in the past. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so Benny is, I mean, we should credit him. He did have the game high 15 points in this one. First of all, I don't know what it is about Boston. He always seems to have a highlight play that this against Northeastern this time around. He has the and one dunk early in the first half. Don't know what's in the water up there, but Benny seems to like it. But he's right back where we thought he would be at the end of last year. He's I said this, I think, with Jeff Goodman. He's worked his way from like the eighth man back up to like the sixth man, maybe like fifth man at, at some points. Um, he's just been awesome. He's been on a tear. Absolutely. Uh, Benny is such an integral part. Uh, he comes in, uh, he, he doesn't mind his role being in that kind of second line for CFC and he brings it 120% effort every time he's on the court for those 20 minutes that he plays. So I, you know, uh, it's such a, I mean, it must be so nice as a coach to have a guy like that, that can just, you know, accept his role and, uh, but yet give everything he has when he's in the game. All right, let's turn our attention to the Monmouth game. Uh, so this was the Thursday night game. First time Charleston has played Monmouth. Obviously, first time they've gone and made the trip up to the Jersey Shore as CAA teammates. Just like Elon, this is a CAA landmine game. And Charleston wasn't super locked in early, right? They had turnovers. They had some bad defense. And much like Elon, Monmouth has nothing to lose. It's a chance to play a ranked team at home, which doesn't happen very often for them. They were pretty fired up. And I don't know how many times the broadcast said something to the effect of like, this is Monmouth's best blank all year. It's their best start all year. It's their best half. It's their best stretch of defense they've played all year. I was like, oh, great. 
And Monmouth had some like positional size. Like Andrew Ball was matched up on Rain Smith and got the better of him a couple times. I think he had like six inches on him. Dalton Bowling got stuck guarding basically a four in Miles Foster, who gave him the business a couple times. And they were Monmouth was able to grab rebounds. Like Charleston did not have the advantage there that they typically have. Berzovich got blocked a couple times. Scott got blocked a couple times. At one point, I think the Cougars had like six turnovers to eight points. When it's, you know, say going into halftime, Charleston's down three. What was your level of concern? Um, I wasn't terribly concerned. I know there was some panic on the uh, the CFC Discord. The I just didn't think that Monmouth was going to be able to sustain uh, that amount of intensity for for 40 minutes. They uh, they did some interesting things. I mean, first of all, when they were hitting shots in the first 10, 10 minutes of the game where they were they were running us off the three point. They had guys doing wind sprints at the three point line whenever we were lining up a three. I remember thinking on one play when Rain had a, Rain had a three point shot and the guy was just sprinting at him and Rain, you know, pumped and reset. I was like, if Rain had taken that shot, the guy would have taken him out like a football player. He'd have had three free throws. <laughs> I don't think that kid was going to be able to stop. Um, they, they, yeah, the one I want to loop back to that Miles Foster guy that they had in the four spot, that guy's a, a really solid player. And we tried to front him with both, uh, Bolin and then later with Benny and he had a little nudge that he did on every play and they were able, he, they were able to loop the ball over him and he had an easy finish at the basket Yeah, at least half a dozen times. And we had no answer for that. Uh, he started missing some bunnies late, so I assume he was getting tired. They also had a little bit of a crafty kind of Euro big man that didn't seem super athletic, but he was given uh, the Vuga. He was giving um, Ante fits early on, uh, just kind of backing down and, and hitting little little shots. Uh, yeah, that that they have a couple decent freshmen, uh, Ball and Collins. Uh, Ball looks like a yeah. player. That guy... You know, he's pretty smooth for a freshman. And early on, he was draining everything. So I remember thinking to myself, first 10, 15 minutes of this game, like, how's like, how's this team won an 18? They look great. They bring a lot of effort. You know, they're hitting shots. But once we got it within three at halftime, I said, Monmouth played about its best game and they're almost losing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think, uh, you know, I wasn't too worried about the second half because I, I knew there was no way they were going to be able to sustain that level of intensity for, for the full game. And that we would, once we got a lead, they would just fold because one in 18 team, you're just not used to winning and it's hard to battle and grind it out for so long. Monmouth definitely has some talent from their freshman class. They're just so young. Um, Dalton Bolin, I think scores seven straight to close the gap before halftime. And that seemed like then their wind really came out of the sails there. Um, We talked last pod about Dalton Bowen kind of hero ball or like ball hogging at times the team needed it here I'm glad he took it upon himself to close that gap uh before before halftime he almost got them ahead uh they hit like a, a deep two to to go up at three at the half um we saw the national media trolls come out at halftime just like we did against Elon against Elon it was Mark Titus saying like oh Charleston's supposedly so good they're down to to one win Elon and then here Seth Davis comes out of the woodwork just to say like, oh, I told y'all Charleston's not one of the 18 best teams in the league. Of course, none of those guys say anything when Charleston's up 30 on Northeastern, but whatever. Um, second half, Rainsmith happens, right? Um, 
we saw the ESPN piece earlier that day where a certain anonymous CAA coach called Rain, quote, streaky as hell. I don't know if Rain saw that. I think he was tagged by someone on Twitter related to it. Uh, Rain drops 27 points in this one, which was about 40% of Charleston's total points. He's 7 for 10 from behind the arc, 6 for 6 from the line. You mentioned his kind of like pump fake and sidestep. He really had that going in this game, and I know that's something he worked on all summer, but just to get guys up in the air and then relocate, he I thought he did like a really exceptional job of that in this game. Rain was amazing. He uh, the his effective field goal percentage was like eighty percent. Um, he was he was unstoppable. I, I mean, if we didn't have that rain on that mammoth mic, it could have been a game where everybody's biting their fingernails up to the very end. Um, but rain was just he was unbelievable. Uh, it, it's that's the type of rain that you saw kind of early as a freshman before the, the opposing coaching staffs kind of caught up to him where yeah. he was getting good looks and hitting everything. Uh, we, we thought we had the, you know, the second coming of what Steve Kerr or something like that in, in, at CFC, but now you could tell rain has made an effort to try to diversify his arsenal of things that he does, which is critical for him. He's not, uh, you know, a plus athlete, and uh, he's he's a remarkable shooter. Uh, he's a sneaky, reasonable athlete. I think he's less overmatched this year than he was last year. You can see in the weight room, he's bigger. Yeah. But he has to use his uncanny shot-making ability to, to open up other things for him. He's still a little uncomfortable when he goes inside. He, he's a little bit mechanical. You could tell that in, in Mammoth, those teardrops. He's really trying them for the first time. Did not, didn't fall very well. But I, I like that he's doing it. And I like that he's diversifying what he's doing because he's got to do that to be to kind of take the next step as a threat. Was it the Northeastern game or the Monmouth game where he opened up with the layup, where just like the lane completely clear? Monmouth. Yeah. Yeah, Monmouth. I mean, sorry, sorry. It was Northeastern. It was Northeastern. That was a scripted. You could tell that was a set. From, yeah. By suck, suck on that, Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, that was Northeastern. Yeah, that was a great play to start the game. Yeah. We're, this is a good team. Uh, I don't I don't know where this ranks all time in the CF, CFC kind of all time best teams, uh, but this team is up there, top two, top three, uh, best. Uh, they're so deep, and uh, it's going to be interesting watching us play higher level competition. I think you know what what teams could really challenge us down the road. It's going to go down to Towson and Delaware probably. Yeah, well, let's let's go there. So we are at the midway point of the CAA season. I don't think anybody preseason had Charleston nine and zero at this point. Even going into like the Towson and UNCW games, I think people would have maybe expected our first loss in in some time to come there. But the Cougars just keep rolling. They are favored in their remaining games. The remaining schedule. So Charleston does have like their bye this week. Most teams in the CAA have only played eight games. Charleston's played nine. Um, so they do get the week off before hosting Hofstra, and Hofstra is just the latest uh, CAA competitor, I guess, trying to dethrone Charleston. First, it was Towson, the unanimous preseason favorite, then it was UNCW, who looked like the next best team, riding their own win streak, and now Hofstra, I think, looks like the second best team in the league. Drexel's up there, too, for me. Um, but remaining games, Hofstra at home, at Drexel, at Delaware, UNCW at home, at Hampton, Northeastern at home at Elon, home against Towson, home against Stony Brook. 
of those nine, which one makes you the most nervous? I, I think obviously Hofstra is going to be tough and it's going to be the next uh, game that we're going to have to win, but uh, they don't, I, they don't, I'm not as worried as them. Obviously they have great, a great backcourt in Estrada and Thomas uh, that can light up the court. Uh, so it'll be an interesting kind of matchup watching us play, but they play a tight rotation. And I just don't think these teams that have tight rotations can beat us if they try to run with us. I think the team that the two teams that, uh, that can really beat us are Delaware and Towson. Obviously, Towson. Towson's a great team. They, got, they have really good players. They have a, that dominant big man that's going to give our front court a little bit of problems. And and they have proven scores. Uh, so, you know, that Towson game, we were looking at that as a measuring stick game for us early in the season, and we were able to come away with the win. But uh, they're going to look for revenge, and I think that's going to be our toughest opponent uh, moving forward and the one that we will probably face, uh, you know, in the CDA tournament, should we get to the final, that's going to be a nationally televised game as well. Towson versus Charleston. Um, I'm going at Drexel for mine. Uh, Drexel is a team. We were, we're only going to face once and we don't get to play them at home. It's just going to be on the road. Charleston so far has struggled against dominant big men. We saw it against, you know, even Doherty got his points, Armando Baycott, Jake Stevens, like go up and down the schedule. Amari Williams is one of like the best, maybe if not the best big man in the conference, uh, definitely like on both sides of the court. And I just like Drexel's Drexel's rolling. Uh, they beat Delaware in overtime at home. They sold out the DAC for that game. I just think uh, they've got something to prove in this one. And I think they've got the roster makeup to, to maybe make it happen, especially at home where their three point shooters can get hot. I, I worry about that one. No, for sure. And Zach Spiker is a really good coach. He, uh, you know, they always, they're an, always a well-coached team that executes what they do really well. So it's, a, I think it's a really good point uh, that, that because it's a single away game for us, that, that Drexel could be a team that, that really gives CFC problems moving forward. The, 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 the top, the, the top five or six of the CAA Charleston, Towson, Hofstra, Dex, Drexel, and Wilmington and Delaware. That's a you could make a really good basketball yeah. conference with those five schools. It's just the bottom that's so bad. Yep, it's it's really unfortunate because uh, that top five, top five, six teams is a great set of basketball schools. Yeah, yeah, they're all having great years. And I said this on the last podcast. Not only are the is the bottom of the CAA bad this year, it's all time bad. Uh, when you talk Hampton, Elon, and Monmouth. But, um, yeah, so again, you just got to avoid those landmine games. And we didn't even, neither one of us mentioned UNCW as the toughest game. Like, they're going to be looking for revenge as well. Something seems to have happened to them after this CFC game because they've really struggled since. Lost to William & Mary uh, a few days later. That's going to be a tough game. I think they've got the roster makeup as well. So no gimmies. I mean, Charleston, in, in this new-look CAA scheduling has a pretty tough schedule. They don't have to go they don't have to go to Hofstra, but they had to go to Towson, they had to go to UNCW, they have to go to Delaware and Drexel. Like they definitely didn't get an easy road um with this. No, no, no they didn't. Uh and it's good because at this point when as a Charleston team that's trying to that it really has its sights set on something bigger than the CAA. I mean, we're going to be in a postseason tournament, hopefully the NCAA 
uh, you know, at minimum will be, you know, get the automatic qualifier for the NIT. You want us to play as tough competition as this spot. You don't want to get soft uh, playing a bunch of cupcakes in conference. And then when you go to the tournament, you you get punched in the mouth by a team that you just haven't seen that little level of competition in so long. So I, I really like it that we have to face the best teams in the CA. And should we lose, we'll lose. It's fine. I, I you know, in some ways, if we if someone beats us during the regular season, it, it may end up being a good thing. This kind of it's I don't I think it's tough to keep winning for a really long time. It like wears on your psyche. Uh, you know, obviously, I'd love for us to win out. But uh, I, even if we do lose one of these weeks, I, I won't think it's the end of the world because I think it will refocus everybody. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective. Anything else you want to cover before we get out of here? Yeah, I know. As far as the, you know, the the national rankings, uh, you know, we're going to be 18. We may even move up a little bit. Uh, it's it's an amazing thing. I think for a guy like a Matt Roberts, who's the athletic director of CFC, getting all that free publicity uh, for the school with the ranking is is probably amazing, and uh, and kind of a sign of what you could do with CFC athletics. Yeah. Um, are we the 18th best team in the country? I, I would probably say that I think we're a little bit overranked. It's just because we're going to keep winning while the teams around us are going to drop games here and there. It's going to be hard psychologically not to move us up to a team that just lost. So you may see us keep drifting up. I wonder what our ceiling is. Uh, and I, and I do definitely believe that we are one of the top 25 teams in the country. Some of those you know, trolls or haters that are saying that we don't belong ranked is is pretty ridiculous. How can you look at our record and resume and, and not say that we're one of the top 25 teams in the country? But that said, you know, 15, top 15, I don't know. I, I think that's a bit I of a stretch. I think that's the ceiling. 15 is the ceiling for me just because of the strength of schedule. But one thing I keep coming back to is, you know what Charleston doesn't have? A Q2 loss, a quad two loss, a quad three loss, a quad four loss. They have one quad A loss. So, yeah, I know people don't love the wins we've had, but, hey, I can point to a lot of teams with more losses than Charleston. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, I think that's what I keep coming back to with, like, the Pat Kelsey speculation, the Matt Roberts speculation is, like, I mean, where are you going to go where you can still be a top 25 team? You've done it here, right? Like, you've shown what Charleston is capable of, and you get the city and the lack of football team and every, everything else that comes with that. No, I'm, I'm not. I know a lot of people are starting to sweat the the Pat Kelsey watch. Uh, I'm not. I'm just going to enjoy it. Uh, you know, I've been a fan of CFC uh, for since the Crest days. And uh, I grew up in Charleston and I went to college in Charleston, obviously. And, um, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. So, you don't. Uh, I'm not worried about a guy staying for 10 years anymore. Just enjoy the ups when you have them. And uh, hopefully Kelsey stays here for a while. Don't turn it up into a down is what I keep saying. Like, enjoy this. Don't kneecap yourself by doom and glooming and speculating about that kind of stuff. Don't sweat the future. Yeah. All right, man. I think that's a good note to end on. Thanks for coming through. I'm glad you had a good time at the Northeastern game. I know you've probably seen some heartbreak at Matthews Arena over the years. You've got two years straight now where the Cougars dominate uh, and appreciate you coming back on the pod. No, thank you, Tommy, as always. And uh, keep enjoying this Cougar Nation. Let's go.